So an interesting thing happened. Um, I have officially been here 11 months, and uh, in our bylaws, this is the time where uh, uh, Pastor Andrew just mentioned we'll be having a uh, vote uh, of the membership for me today. So when I plan and pray and prep for messages, I do that way ahead. That's, I just, I pray, I believe the Holy Spirit speaks to us in the planning and I work. You may not know this uh, about me. I have 2017 laid out already. Um, I know what we're doing Christmas of 2017. I know what we're doing October of 2017. I know what we're doing summer of 2017. Now the Spirit can always change things on the moment, but we go uh, and we make that happen. So with that said, what I didn't know when I began this process and we started praying was that today, uh, message would line up with the vote because we are in Ephesians chapter five and Ephesians chapter five has some fun things to talk about. There's a big giant S-bomb dropped right in the middle of this one. Get your minds out of the gutter. Submission is in this passage. <laughs> some of you are like, Pastor Mike, I don't know what you're talking about. Submission's in this passage. There's some things about family that some of us love and some of us go, oh, I'm not sure how I think about that. And so here's what I thought as I laughingly uh, continue to prepare for this week to saying, okay, Spirit, you know what you're doing. If I can preach this, then we're pretty safe. If I can preach this, then we're pretty safe because we're going to walk through some fun stuff uh, today. If you got your Bibles, you should open to Ephesians, uh, get there to chapter 5, and we're going to dive in in just a minute. But we're going to talk uh, uh, today about some instruction that Paul gives to families. And if you've been with us, you know, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians. Um, we do both things here. Sometimes people ask, you know, do you preach topically or do you preach, you know, book by book or what do you do? And I say, yes, I do that. I do all those things. And so, uh, so we walk through books of the Bible from time to time, and we walk through topics from time to time. And sometimes books of the Bible take us to topics, and sometimes topics take us to books of the Bible. And we just believe that the Word of God is alive and active and transforms lives. And so we spend time in there and let it speak to us. And so, um, so yes, we do do both those things. But I'm in, uh, I'm in Ephesians chapter 5, and we've been walking through this incredible letter that Paul wrote from prison. And some major themes, and he wrote from a prison cell to a church to encourage that church. And one of the themes I keep joking about is, if I ever end up in jail for serving God and standing for God, I want you to write me letters to encourage me. I don't want you to expect me from jail to write letters to you to encourage you. I don't think I'm that big of a man. So... Just with that in there, I, uh, I think that's amazing that Paul is in what many would say is probably a hole in the ground with a grate over it. And he's there for simply telling people the truth. Last week we talked about we're the truth tellers, for telling people the truth about Jesus, about heaven, about God, and it has ticked some people off and now he's in jail. And from there, he's writing this letter to his friends to encourage them. He's telling them things like they need to remain authentic. They need to, they need to be encouraged. He's writing them letters because he knows this is the generation that will, that will begin to take the truth of Jesus, even though they never spent time walking physically on the earth with him pre-death and resurrection. They have experienced and received this from Jesus, and they're going to be the generation that takes that all the way to us. They're going to start that fire that gets to us. That's amazing. So in that context, he talks about all kinds of different scenarios, and we're going to dive into this one here in just a moment. And I was thinking about the family structure, and I was thinking about, I don't know why this was the thing, but I was, I was thinking about romantic comedies. 
and the, the pictures that they give us of what perfect families and, and perfect love relationships look like. And, and so I was trying to think, I want you to think for just a minute, um, you don't have to say it out loud because I don't want to out what kind of movies guys you're watching, but uh, what's your favorite romantic comedy? Think about your favorite romantic comedy. Just get it in your head. Is there a bride running away or a woman who's pretty? I don't know. <laughs> Something in there. Your favorite rom-com. Some of you are like Rambo. But uh, <laughs> be honest, I'm not going to make you write it down. All right. So tell me a little bit about the sequel to that romantic comedy. What's the sequel like? Oh, there's, none of you have a sequel to your romantic comedy? You mean Hollywood doesn't like to give you a picture of life after the romance starts and after it begins, that we never see phase two of how to actually live out that thing? You mean, you mean that's not the thing that anybody really wants to talk about? That doesn't sell movie tickets? Oh, interesting. Interesting. Maybe that was all you needed to hear today. That'll be the thing you remember. Why is there no sequels to romantic comedies? because no one should watch the first one anyway. <laughs> Psst, on fire. <laughs> so, so today we're going we're gonna to talk in Ephesians about some of the messy stuff, because I want you to catch what Paul's doing here. Something incredible has happened. Jesus, and Jesus shows up, and for three, three and a half years of public ministry, he begins transforming forming the way that we frame how to interact with God. He begins changing the way we should interact with people and one another. He says all of the law and all of the commandments hang on these two things, that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you love your neighbor as yourself. And it begins to literally change culture and behavior. This group of people who follow Jesus, they're, they're considered radi so radical that Paul's first job is to hunt them down and kill them because they think they're too dangerous for culture. They're literally shifting culture. They're shifting culture by doing things like radically valuing people who others would say aren't valuable. They're doing things like radically forgiving people, their debt and the way they've wronged them. And that kind of radical valuing of human beings and human life and that kind of radical forgiveness in relational context, all of those things, it doesn't make any sense to the existing culture. Because you got to think the Romans are in charge and you know how they got in charge? Not by valuing people, not by forgiving. They got in charge because they had the best army, they had the military might, and essentially might makes right. And they are flying in the face of a culture that says might makes right and saying, no, 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 no. We are going to use, if those of us who have some power, our power to leverage that, to lift up those who don't have power. And it is changing culture. It is changing lives. And people are coming to an understanding of who they are in Christ. They're connecting to God. And it is amazing. It's catching on like wildfire. I mean, they're trying to stamp it out. Paul's in jail while they try to stamp it out. And so he's writing to these people who are his friends. And he's instructing them on things on how to live this out. And in the midst of this, he turns his attention to an area that gets a little tense for us sometimes. He says, hey, this is how it looks in your life when you interact with people. But now 
I want to move from there and talk about how does this look in your home? How does this affect your family? Because I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes it's really easy to remember who I am in Christ when I'm out at the mall, I'm out at the store, I'm out, I'm on display. When you walk into the office, you know when that gets more difficult? When I'm sitting on the couch watching the game. That's when that goes away. That's when I forget that piece. That's when those principles don't always come right to the top. So my wife's right here, she can vouch that I'm, you know, telling the truth here uh, on myself. There are conversations that we have to have that start pretty tense with her reminding me that I treat sometimes strangers better, come on, than I treat the people who live in my house. Uh-oh, got quiet in here. There was a couple elbows I saw that were kind of discreet, but don't, right? Why is that? Because the principles make sense when I'm in the public, but oftentimes, even in my most intimate relationships, those principles, I can sometimes relax them. And so Paul is writing to these churches that are popping up in homes and they're spreading like gangbusters and people are all beginning to have this relationship with Jesus. And he's saying, hey, it has to affect those core relationships as well. And this gets tense for some of us because you know where some of this is going to go. It's, oh, he's going to talk about gender roles. Oh, he's going to talk about structure in the house. I'm not going to do anything but talk about what the scriptures talk about. And so if you don't like some of those things, you can get mad at Paul. I'm mad at him time to time too. I'm just going to be honest with you. My first take as I read through this, and this is because I have just a strange inner dialogue as I get into the word. I talk to the folks that are writing it sometimes. And I'm like, seriously, Paul, it is clear that you're not married at this time. <laughs> now, in history, we don't know if he was ever married. Some would say that potentially he had been married because of just his devout Judaism and where he kind of uh, uh, grew up and what he did, that it may have been expected for him to be married. But we have no indication he certainly isn't married at this time in his life. And I'm just having this picture in my mind. Okay, I think I might be a better expert on marriage than Paul. And so, because I've got more years logged in uh, than, than he appears to have. And I certainly wouldn't have chosen this language knowing that someday uh, people that I care about would read it. And so, come on, Paul, could you just throw me a bone and choose some better language? But we're going to walk into the language here in just a minute. But uh, I want to I wanna just bring us to the point where we recognize what's really happening here is Paul is trying to help us understand how to take this incredible, radical love that Jesus has modeled for us and bring it into our most intimate, closest relationships as strongly as we do with that person that we interact with on the street when we all light up and go, oh, it's my chance to be Jesus, and, and it triggers, and we have that moment that's great. That's great. But how does that look with my wife? How does that look with my kids? How does that look with my brother? How does that look with my mom, with my dad? How does that look in those relationships? So, so that's kind of where we're going. Some of you want to check out right now. That's okay. Get your phones out. Pretend like you're following along and check Facebook. I, I get it. It's totally okay, but we're going we're gonna to walk into that. Um, I do want you to understand that what Paul's not trying to do is just simply overthrow the Roman culture and system of governance in this moment. What he's trying to do is coach believers on how to invade that with the love of Christ. That's what he's trying to do. So, so, uh, so here we go. I'm going to dive in. Um, Ephesians, we're going to start at the beginning of Ephesians 1, chapter 5, verse 1, because I want us to catch, we got to couch the conversation we're about to have in context. And he starts off this thought by saying, 
follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Now, I want you to catch this. This is why the, the, to this week's called imitate. That word follow is the same word as imitate, and some translations will say imitate. But basically he's saying, what I'm about to break down for you in the next series of my letter is that this is how you imitate God. This is how you follow his example. This is how you live this thing out. Verse two, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He's saying, listen, I'm about to teach you some things, some principles, but what is at the core of them is that I'm gonna teach you how to follow or imitate God's example of love. And you're gonna follow that the way that Christ followed that. Um, Paul's talked in this kind of language before. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, he uses the exact same word when he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He says, this is about modeling behavior so that you have a picture of what it looks like. Because again, this is a whole new paradigm. This is a massive shift in how husbands and wives will interact, how fathers and sons will interact, how children and parents will interact. This is a massive shift because nowhere in history up until this point have they been asked to have love as the deepest level of commitment at the core. There's always been some other angle. It's always been power or uh, uh, uh influence. Something else has always controlled those relationships. So how do we take love and move it into the center and the core of our most intimate relationships? Now, here's where this gets hard because we don't all define love the same way. And some of us have a hard time as we start talking about loving relationships because people who were supposed to love us or say they loved us haven't done what we have a picture of love being. And so this is where this gets a little sticky. If you are someone that maybe hasn't come uh, to church for a long time, and maybe you're just checking us out, or someone uh, invited you to lunch afterwards, we're so glad you're here. Um, for you, some of this is gonna be a little bit tricky, but here's what I'm gonna do. In just a few minutes, I'm gonna unleash a principle. And that principle is gonna be true whether you believe why it's true or not. And so I'm gonna challenge you to apply a principle, even if you wanna throw out all the Jesus stuff and just apply the principle, I'm gonna challenge you to give it a shot. And if it works, then hey, high five, you're welcome. Come on back and we'll talk about another one another time. And, uh, and so I'm gonna challenge you to do that. And for those of us that follow Jesus, I'm gonna explain why we don't have a choice if we're going to follow Jesus except to do what Jesus did. And so, uh, so we're gonna unpack this a little bit. I know it's getting a little tense in here, but, uh, but I love it. So Paul's uh, diving into this. Let's get to the fun stuff. I'm gonna fast forward us. There's a whole bunch of good stuff in the first part of uh, chapter five, but you know, it wouldn't be tense if I didn't jump all the way down to 21. So we're gonna do that. There it is. Dun, dun, dun. Everyone breathe out at the same time. <gasps> Submit. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, the reason I started here is that most of the time when we talk about the passage of family stuff, we start at 22. And wives, you're in the room. You know what verse 22 says. We're getting there. Most of the time we start there. We start with the dynamic of husbands and wives. But Paul doesn't start with the dynamic of husbands and wives. He just starts in the context of family, in the context of the human experience, in the context of all of our relationships as part of the family of God, that there is a thing that happens. And he says, 
a thing that happens is that you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He hasn't talked husbands and wives at all yet. Now, this is pretty crazy. What does this mean? I'm going to just challenge you to, to think this way for just a second. All of your great relationships have this thing in it. Here's how I know. You're in crisis. Uh, your tire blows in the middle of the night. Something goes wrong. And you get on the phone. You text whoever it is cares about you. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend or whatever. And that person, assuming they do care about you and they have the means to do it, drops whatever they're doing, and they come and help and assist you. Do you know what that is? That's them submitting to your need. They don't have to do that, but because you have a relationship with them, because they love you, because they value you, because you have some leverage over, I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, they come and take their time, energy, resources, and use it to prop you up and help you. All of your closest, best relationships, whether it's friendship relationships, family relationships, whatever it is, have this somewhere in the core. Because when it's not in the core, something changes in the dynamic of the relationship, right? Hey, I'm in trouble. Oh man, I hope that works out for you. Okay, you just got shifted out of my closer relational circle, right? <laughs> and I realized maybe we don't have the kind of loving relationship that I thought we had. Does that make sense? Everybody can kind of nod. Everybody's waiting. It's got tense in here real quick, so I'm, I'm not sure what you're thinking over there, so let's, uh, let's, let's keep moving. Let's talk about what the word means. It's always good to know what we're actually talking about. This word submit is a great word. It's, uh, it's a com, uh, com convergence of two uh, Hebrew words, and uh, the two words are really, the word is hupotasso, uh, which I'm going to say wrong. It's hupo and then tasso, and basically hupo means uh, that we, it's, you put yourself, it's underneath. Hupo means underneath, and tasso means you order or you set it. And so here's what submission is a actual picture of in the Greek. It's a picture of I take myself and I prop it underneath you and position it to hold you up. That's submission, all right? It doesn't have to do with control and manipulation. It doesn't have to do with power and authority. It says, I take, uh, I'll give you the definition, right? I prop something or someone else up with myself. That's submission. Submission is I come and I say, here's my strength, my gifts, my skills, my talents, my abilities, my power, my sweat, whatever it is I have, and I willfully place it underneath you to support you. That's what submission is. That picture of submission is not quite as scary. Now, when he says submit to one another, let's put 521 back up there, out of reverence to Christ, the next thing he says is you do that with one another. You do that with one another. You know what that's really implying? That in every healthy relationship, this is just friendship, family. We're not talking about husbands and wife yet. In every healthy relationship, there is a measure of what we'll call mutual submission. Mutual submission. In every single one of those relationships. So here's what happens. We have a relationship. We're friends, family, whatever, and you're in need. I don't even have an issue taking my strength, my power, my ability, my gift, whatever it is, and I prop you up because I care about and value you. And I know that if I'm in a situation where I have a need and you have strength, power, gifting, ability, whatever it is, and you're willing to come and take that and prop that up under me, that's what mutual submission means. That's the picture that Paul's painting of healthy, godly 
relationships. Now, I gotta go a little bit further because I love this idea. Why do we do it? We do it out of reverence for who? Interesting. That's an interesting language choice for Paul. He doesn't say submit to one another because you have so much value to one another. He could, but that's not what he does. He says the reason you take your strength, power, energy, personhood, and use it to prop up the life and health of someone else is because you respect what Christ did for you. And you, out of respect and reverence for what Christ, because isn't that the picture of what Christ did? Isn't that what he demonstrated when he came and conquered the sin in our life and conquered all of that? He took his strength, his power, his positional authority. He took all of his, pure, his, his goodness. He took his perfection and he propped us up and he lifted us up with that. Paul's saying, because you've experienced that, you can do that for one another. It's an interesting level that we never go to on this. Submission is taking that thing that we have and propping up one another. Jesus did this. John chapter 13, verse 3. I love this. This whole thought, Jesus is about to wash some feet, if you don't know this passage. He's about to wash some feet. But this whole thought of washing feet is predicated, verse 3, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. I want you to catch this. Jesus is having an epiphany kind of moment that he wants to make sure John captures. And he says, I want you to understand, I have all of the power. I have all of the authority. God has entrusted me with all of that. This is not out of weakness. This is out of power and authority. He says, I'm in charge and I'm heading back to God. And it says, because he understood what his power and authority looked like. So, verse four, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. Verse five, after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What is the picture here? The picture is the increased amount of power, authority, whatever it is you got in life, the greater the level of your submission to prop up, support, those around you. Jesus says at the top level of power and authority, I get down on the ground and I prop up the people around me. That's what Paul's tapping into. That's the picture he's painting as he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Respect what Christ did. Verse 15 um, on chapter 13, he ends up saying, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Paul's just echoing Jesus here, saying this is what it looks like in your most intimate loving relationships, in your family relationships, in your closest circle of friends relationships. It looks like those with power, energy, resources, whatever it is you have, you have a heart that says because Christ, who had unlimited access to all of those things, took his power authority and propped me up, I am 100% willing to take mine and prop you up. Mutual submission. It's pretty good. We haven't got to any hard things yet, and I'm almost done. If you caught this, the rest will move pretty, 
pretty, pretty smooth. Back to verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You got it. I promised you I would give you a key to doing that. So I'm going to give you a key. I picked this up from a pastor, I don't know, years ago, and he gave me permission to steal it, so I stole it because it's amazing. I've used it. Um, I used it in uh, premarital counseling relationships. I've used it when I'm sitting down with couples and families. I've used it time and time again. This is a little kernel of advice that will absolutely change the way your interpersonal dynamics begin to hit with one another. If you catch this, if you try this out, I promise there is some things that will break loose in the area of submission in your life, and it's gonna sound overly simple, but when you hear it, you're gonna go, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. So here's the big question that I want you to learn how to ask. What can I do to help? What can I do to help? What can I do to help? You know what? Let's read it together on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Yeah, that was pretty good. Husbands, did you say it? Did your wives ever hear you? <laughs> Gotta be careful, wives. Did you hear that? Wives, did you say it? Let's try it one more time. One, two, three. What can I do to help? There is some power here. Here's where the power gets unleashed. This is how we initiate a mutual submission relationship. I have been in some tense tense personal conversations, but counseling type moments with folks. And I'm not a counselor, so I don't have that skill set. So don't be like, oh good, he's a great counselor. And I don't have that skill set. I've just been in the war with some people because we do life together and that's how it goes, right? And I can tell you, there is some power that gets unleashed when someone looks someone in the eye and stops saying, here's what I need. Here's what I want. Here's what you got to do. Here's whatever. And stops for just a moment and says, you know what? What can I do to help? When I stop worrying about being right, come on when I stop worrying about having my authority challenged, when I stop worrying about whatever it is that has created this tension in me and I lead the way Jesus did. It's almost like Jesus looked at our situation and said, man, what, do, what can I do to help? And the father said, ooh, this is gonna be expensive. This is gonna take a lot. He said, yeah, I'm all in. Can you imagine, can you imagine if we took that kind of, perspective into our closest, most intimate family relationships. And we said, you know what? I'm going to lead with what can I do to help? That's mutual submission. That's the picture of mutual submission. So I got a challenge now. Because of time, I'm going to not go all the way. I'm going to leave us hanging a little bit. But I want to invite us into this conversation of what that kind of love looks like. Because in just a moment, he's gonna talk to wives and he's gonna say, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, here's what I want you to catch about that. That is an application of the truth. That is not a new command. That is saying, hey, here's the truth. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Wives, here's how that looks in your context. Do you see that? He's not embarking on command. Now, from time to time, you'll have a husband wondering, like, you know, doesn't the scripture say wives submit? And here's what I say to that. Paul's talking to wives. So stop worrying about it. Let your wife worry about that. When he's talking to husbands, read that part, and you do your duty, and you worry about her, let her worry about her. I'm just saying, right? I'm just saying. Fair enough, fair is fair. I also want you to note that in this next passage, most of his conversation is towards the husband and what that looks like. And in the end, yeah, she submitted, 
by taking her strength, energy, and propping up him, knowing that he's going to do that. In the end of that picture, he's dead, right? Willing to give his life for her, like Christ, for the church. How did Christ do that? So his, his sacrifice is much, I'm not going to say larger, but much, very significant. Let's just say that and how that looks. <laughs> Wives, submit to your husbands. I added in parentheses because they are awesome. As to the Lord, for the husband's the head of the wife as Christ, the head of the church's body for which he's a savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Man, wives, if your husband loved you in such a way that he took his time, energy, strength, and propped you up anytime he could, would you really have a hard time taking your time, energy, strength, resources, and propping him up? Because that's the application. That's the application. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her. He made her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he who feeds it cares for it just as Christ did the church because we are members of his body. I just think the picture here, if we understood mutual submission, all the rest of this would make sense. If we understood how to take our time, energy, and resource and prop it up under someone we love and care about, all of that would make sense. But we, we get scared sometimes. We get scared. It's cool. I know that we get scared. We get scared because we think that someone, uh, someone will abuse that. Someone will take advantage of it. We'll think that, you know, can you imagine if your child, I don't know how old your child is if you have a child, and they walked in from school or from work or just they woke up and walked into your room and instead of saying, Dad, get up, give me something, Mom, I'm hungry, if they just walked in and they led with, hey, what can I do to help? Can you imagine how floored you'd be? First of all, I don't know how old they are, but it, can you imagine that? Kid, if there's kids in here right now, I dare you to try that. I dare you to try that. You can even, you don't even have to wait. You can do it tonight, right? I just dare you to try. Make sure you do it in front of mom and dad's friends because mom and dad's friends will hit the floor when you do that and they will just like, their friends will be like, teach us your ways. How did you do that? You know, they, it'll, it'll be great. Make sure, do it, do it just like that. I mean, can you imagine if they did that? Would you really afraid? Husbands, can I just for a second push on this? Some of us, our wives are afraid to ask us to help them because the pace and the energy that we're putting out and the vibe that we're putting out, it just, you know, if they were to, if we were to, before you left the house or whatever it is you're doing, just say, hey, is there anything I can do to help you today? It might knock them over. It might, they, it, and then be okay if it requires a little bit. Yeah, can you stop by the store? Oh, I don't want to stop by the store. I got this. No, because that, that's why they're afraid to ask you. Because that's what comes out. I would submit to you that a stranger could ask you for help and get sometimes a better response out of you. Guard that. Wives, he's not going to have anything. He's not, he's going to be floored. If you said, hey, what can I do to help? He's going to be floored. He's going to be, uh, 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 you're awesome, thanks. He's not going to know what to do. He's going to leave. He's going to go start some project somewhere and wonder what happened. And, but that's the power of mutual submission, initiating that. So I'm not sure what you're scared of. 
But it's fear. It's fear. It's going to cost me maybe a little time, a little energy. Let me just submit to you that the, the ideal thing you have in your head, that, that the reason that rom-com can't make part two is because no one's asking that question. Everybody has an angle of they're in it for them. And no one's coming from a, what can I do to lift up you? So my challenge to you is to give it a shot. To step courageously, because Paul said, hey, this is how you take what Jesus did for you and bring it to your most intimate, closest relationships. You learn this principle, even if you have power, authority. Jesus recognized, I got all the authority, all the power, and he stripped down, and he said, let me wash your feet and put my power and energy underneath you. Why? So that you recognize how to handle the power and authority that you have in the presence of people you love. And then you go do that. Paul says, take it into your house. Take it into your family. Take it into your relationships. Next week, we'll talk about dads and kids a little bit. It'll be awesome. I'll unpack a little bit more of this. I think the challenge of how to do it, for those of us who say, well, we're all about Jesus, is to recognize he did it and demonstrated it for us, and we've experienced it. And because of that, we can imitate that. For those of you that are still kind of on the fence, the challenge for you this week is to give it a shot. I dare you. I dare you. I double dog dare you. What's the one where you put your tongue on your fa- the, the flagpole? Triple dog. I triple dog dare you. Give it a shot. And whatever those intimate relationships are, maybe you're mom and dad. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's with a spouse. Maybe it's a close circle of friends. I'm not sure where it is, but I dare you to give it a shot and say, hey, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? The next time the tension is in, the next time the temperature has heated on those Christian conversations that we have in our homes, I dare you to take a step back and say, okay, I know things have gotten hot, but what can I do to help? Not, do you hear me? Did you get it? Are you right? I want you to say I'm right. Just say I'm right. (laughs) Just once. (laughs) Let's take a step back from there and just say, okay. Jesus could have taken that approach with me. And he didn't. Instead, he took his power, his authority, and he put it under me and he propped me up in my weakness. And Romans says, at just the right time, when I was helpless or powerless, when there was nothing I could do, I got to admit it, in my weak moments, I can't get my head to the right place to have that conversation. I need help to even get there sometimes. I know me. Come on. I'm being transparent here so we can be real for a second, right? Ah, it's coming out. And just remember, okay, wait a second. This is the same person that Jesus propped up underneath and said, here's my power, authority, strength. I'm with you. And I can take a step back. And in the heat, I can say, man, we're far apart, but what can I do to help? And watch that principle of mutual submission, not because they deserve it. Listen, I'm a person who often doesn't deserve it. All right, come on, baby. I'll give you the microphone. You can preach. Often I don't deserve it. 
Thank God that it's not about deserve. Thank God that it's about a reverence for a God who did it for me, a respect for a God who crossed that bridge for me. Even when they don't deserve it, could you imagine if you led that way, what could change?